Chapter Eleven of Say and Seal. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Susanna Mason. Say and Seal by Susan Warner. Chapter Eleven. Little Charles Twelfth did not come to meet his Sunday school teacher, as had been arranged the Sunday preceding the Nanticoke expedition. Faith waited for him in the morning, waited and hoped, but it was not greatly surprised to find that she had waited in vain. Charles the Twelfth, whether or not he was to follow during life the erratic and wilful course of his namesake, was that day at least not to be led by her. So Faith went to church, meditating a sometime descent upon Mrs. Seacombe's shady domain, there to meet and recapture the heart of her little charge, for so he seemed to her now. But on her return from the morning service she found Charles the Twelfth, crestfallen and repentant, in his turn waiting for her. The matter was, his brother Americus Vespucius had shut him up so that he couldn't come, and as soon as he was set free, Charles the Twelfth had used his freedom and his legs in making tracks, to use Mr. Simlin's expression, for Mrs. Derrick's abode, and on this occasion he made many fewer tracks than the afternoon of his previously recorded invasion. As being somewhat burdened in spirit, he had stopped for no somersets, and had been lured aside by no tempting invitations of a dusty place or a mud puddle. Faith heard his story gravely and sympathizingly, comforted him up, encouraged him to hope that the discoverer of America would not prove so adverse to his making discoveries another Sunday, gave him a little talk and a good dinner, and sent him home cheerful and determined. The very mood for success, accordingly, the next morning after this return from Neanticoke, being Sunday, Charles the Twelfth presented himself at the house in brave good time, and Faith and her little charge, for the first time in their lives, both of them, went to Sunday school. The child very important and expectant, the teacher very gentle and very grave indeed. Faith had made her arrangements the Sunday before, so she and Charles Twelfth proceeded at once to the place assigned her. At the opening services the King of Sweden stared mightily. Faith looked at nothing. She had a feeling that other children and other teachers were nearer to her than she wished they were, and she was a little uncertain how best to take hold of the odd little piece of humanity entrusted in her care. However, when the reading and singing were over, Faith began a long, low talk to him about some Bible story, diverging as she went on to an account of the other world, and the two ways that lead to it and the two sorts of people that travel them. And becoming exceedingly interested herself, she fastened her, the eyes of Charles the Twelfth in a way that shewed his thoughts were cleaving to hers. Fifth's own thoughts were cleaving elsewhere. The things she said were simply said, her words were the plainest, her illustrations just at his hand, but her, the voice in which they were given would alone have won the ear of a child, and whatever other impression her words made upon his mind, the fixed conclusion in which he was left at the ending was, that whatever way she was travelling was the right one. It was a beautiful fair first day of October, still and sunny, but if it had not, it would probably have been a fair day to Faith after that beginning of it. She looked as if it was, in the church, and on the way home, and at the quiet dinner-table. Her face was a transcript of the day, still and sunny. It seemed to be true, her promise that the annoyance of yesterday would be nothing to her to-day. There was no shadow of it in sight. If there was a shadow anywhere at the table, it was upon Mrs. Derrick, a half-jealous fear that her child would be less hers by becoming a Christian, a half-uneasy feeling of the new state of things, did cloud her heart a little, though almost unknown to herself, 
that she would not have confessed to any such cloud, and practically it was not there. No straw of hindrance did she put in Faith's way. Indeed, she seemed rather fearful of touching the matter in any wise. It was rather from curiosity than anything else that she said, as they were both getting ready for afternoon church. "'Well, child, how did you like going to Sunday school?' Faith's answer was subdued, but earnest. "'I liked it very much, mother.' "'How many's in your class?' said Mrs. Derrick, tying her bonnet. "'Only one yet, but that was enough for me to begin with. I hope I shall get some more soon.' "'Only one?' said Mrs. Derrick. "'Besides you do, mean child.' "'Mother,' said Faith. Then, smiling, she added, "'Yes, mother, only one besides me. That one is little Charlie Seacombe, and I am trying to teach him.' "'Why, I thought you were in Mr. Linden's class,' said Mrs. Derrick, facing round. But Faith's face flushed, and what was very uncommon with her, the tears came, too. "'So I am, mother,' she said. "'But I am one that he teaches at home. I have learned all I know from him,' she said, covering her eyes with both hands. "'Why, child, hush!' said her mother softly. "'I didn't mean to say anything. But how should I know? So you're teaching Charlie Seacombe, hey? Well, I'm sure he wants it bad enough. I guess I'd better go, too, next Sabbath. It was real lonesome with you all gone. And that makes me think, child. I wonder if you could go a little way from me after meeting.' "'Go to Sunday school, mother,' said Faith, showing her bright, wet eyes. "'Will you teach him some children, mother?' Written letters don't give the intonation of these words. "'I guess they could teach me some of them,' said her mother. "'But I thought maybe, Faith, you'd take Sally Lunda's some medicine. She sent word for it, and I don't know as I can get so far to-day. Mr. Linden does have a class, don't he? I can go just as well as not, and I like it very much, mother. Oh, yes, he has a class, of course, a class of some of the biggest boys, a large class.' "'I wonder what he does with himself after meeting,' said Mrs. Derrick. "'Folks do say he goes strolling around, but I don't believe it.' "'Mother, folks say everything, I believe. He knows what he does.' "'Maybe you wouldn't like to be seen out on Sabbath,' said Mrs. Derrick, with a sudden thought. "'Because if you wouldn't, Faith, I'll go myself to Sally's, can or no can.' "'No, mother,' she said brightly. "'I would like to go.' If I know I'm doing right, I don't mind about being seen. I wish people had as good reason for telling tales about me as they have for some others. I guess your class will fill up, said her mother, with her fond, wistful look at the only thing she had in the world. It was the fairest, still, sweet afternoon, when after church Faith got the medicine for our Sally Lundas, and set out to take it to her. So fair and lovely, that Faith hardly considered much the features of the road she travelled. In that light any piece of ground was beautiful. The road was very lonely after a little part of the village had been gone through. It left the main street, then bid farewell to a few scattering distant houses, and approached what was called Barley Point, a barren piece of ground from which a beautiful view of the sound and the ocean line, and perhaps porpoises, could be had. But at the foot of this field the road turned, round the end of that belt of woods spoken of, and getting on the other side of it ran back eastward towards the lighthouse point. Between the woods and the sea, on this side, was a narrow down that the farmers could make little of, and here the road, if desolate, had a beauty of its own. On Faith's right was the strip of tolling downs, 
grown with nothing but short grass and low blackberry vines, and close at hand, just beyond its undulating line, the waves of the sea beating in. Very little waves today. Everything was so quiet. At the lighthouse point, a mile or more on, was a little settlement of fishermen and others, but only one house stood on the way, and that hardly disturbed the monotony or the solitude. It was so little, so brown, and looked so of a piece with the barren country. That was little Sally Lundes's house. Faith met nobody till she got there. When Faith came out of the house, the sun's place warned her that she would have no time to spare to get home. She set off with quicker pace, though no wise concerned about it. There was no danger of anything in Patacosset. But she had gone only a little part of her wild homeward way when she met Mr. Simlins. Now Mr. Simlins was accustomed to take an afternoon Sunday stroll, and sometimes a long one, so it was no matter of surprise to meet him, nor even to meet him there, for Mr. Simlins was an independent in his choice of a walk, as in everything else. But he was surprised. "'Hullo, my passenger pigeon!' he exclaimed. "'Why are you here all alone in this infrequent place?' "'It's a very nice place,' said Faith. "'And it's not disagreeable to be alone, though I am willing to meet you, Mr. Simlins.' "'Haven't you been quarrelling with anybody, have you?' "'No.' said Faith, giving an amused look to this view of the subject. "'Do I look quarrelsome, Mr. Simlins?' "'I don't know how you look,' said the farmer. "'I ain't anything of an exposition. You'll have to ask somebody else. There's some words too hard for me to spell and pronounce. Where have you been?' "'Just to carry Sally Lundas some medicine Mother had for her. "'Where are you going now?' "'Home.' "'Going alone?' "'Why, yes. Why not?' "'Dunno,' said Mr. Simlins. Only I'm going part way, and I'll see nothing happens to you so long as I'm in your consort. It was a wild place enough to make company pleasant. Dark clumps of forest trees on one hand grew near together, and the spaces between, though cleared, looked hardly less wild, for vines and stomach and ferns had taken possession. The sun's rays yet lay warm on the rolling downs, the sear grass and the purplish blackberry vines, and sparkled on the waves beyond. But when Mr. Simlins and Faith struck into the woods for a short cut, the shadowy solitude closed them in on all sides. Softly their steps moved over the fallen pine leaves, or rustled through the shreds of autumn finery that lay beneath oak and maple, and nothing else but birds and squirrels broke the silence till they were near the further edge of the wood. There they heard a soft murmur of voices. "'Who lives here?' said Mr. Simlins. But Faith held her breath. "'There's mortality here.' "'Where I thought there was nothing but animals and vegetation,' said Mr. Simlins, stepping softly and cautiously forward. "'Let's see. Don't make no noise more'n the leaves'll let you. I shouldn't think anything would come to meetin' here but a woodchuck, and they're skeered if they see a shadow.' On that side the trees ceased abruptly, and the open sunshine of a little clearing replaced them, and there were the speakers. Tallest among the group sat Mr. Linden, and around him, in various attitudes of rest or attention, a dozen boys basked in the sunshine. Most of them were a size or two smaller than his morning class at the Sunday school, though several of those were stretched on the grass at the outskirts of the circle, as honorary members. Little Johnny Fax, established in Mr. Linden's lap, divided his attention pretty evenly between the lesson and the teacher, though indeed to his mind the separate interests did not clash. The little glade was very green still, but sprinkled with the autumn leaves which came floating down at every breath, 
and the bordering trees stood some in deep green hemlock and some in paler pine and thrust out here and there a glowing arm into, into the sunlight the boys listening and looking some playing the part of the young nebuchadnezzars some picking and breaking up the asters and goldenrod within their reach giving little side nods of assent to each other or bending a more earnest gaze on mr linden pushing back their caps or pulling them down with a quick brush across the eyes the hand with which johnny fax stroked back from mr linden's forehead any stray lock of hair which the wind displaced or laid on his shoulder when there was nothing else to do made altogether a picture the like of which mr simlins had not seen before nor even faith the sun might leave the clearing and betake itself to the tree-tops and thence to the clouds there was light there which came from a higher source not faith's silent attention was more silent and motionless than that of her companion he did not move or stir but her deep deep rapt gravity formed part of the subject of his contemplations for one or two keen sidelong glances fell upon it else his eyes were busy uninterruptedly with the scene and took in the whole effect of it hers hardly wavered from one point a little stir among the boys roused both the lookers-on from their muse but they stood still again at the first notes of a hymn as mr linden's deep voice began and the young choir with its very treble chimed in i want to be an angel and with the angels stand a crown upon my forehead a harp within my hand there right before my saviour so glorious and so bright i'd wake the sweetest music and praise him day and night i never should be weary nor ever shed a tear nor ever feel a sorrow nor ever feel a fear but blessed pure and holy i dwell in Jesus' sight and with ten thousand thousand praise him both day and night i know i'm weak and sinful but jesus will forgive for many little children have gone to heaven to live dear saviour when i languish and lay me down to die oh send a shining angel to bear me to the sky oh there i'll be an angel and with the angel stand a crown upon my forehead a harp within my hand and there before my saviour so glorious and so bright i'll wake the sweetest music and praise him day and night the two listeners stood still while the hymn was singing still as the air but mr simlins got no more sight of faith's face they stood still when the hymn was finished as if they lingered where the last vibrations had been but as a general stir among the hymn party proclaimed that they would soon be on the move the two who'd watched them as if by consent turned short about and silently picked up their way back through the darkening wood to the nearest point of road they could reach it was far from home and even out of the wood the light was failing they walked with quick steps mr simlins could get glances now at faith's face but though it was quiet enough he seemed for some reason or other in a disagreeable state of mind it made itself manifest at length in a grunt of considerable power oh this is a complexious sort of world to live in was his not very clear remark the contrast of the tone of the next words was striking dear mr simlins there is something better what do you call me dear for he growled you never did before i don't know said faith because i want you to be as happy as i am be you so happy 
said the farmer inquisitively. Faith said yes. It was a calm and clear yes, a confident yes, one that felt its foundation strong and deep. Yet Faith's mother, or dearest friend, if gifted with quick apprehensions, would hardly have been satisfied with it. Was Mr. Simlin so gifted? Not so happy you couldn't be happier? He said in a tone that assumed it. No, said Faith, looking at him with a sunshiny smile. I want to be better, Mr. Simlins. Better? growled Mr. Simlins. You go hang yourself. I wish you was better. If you ain't happy, I wish the Simlins may be an extant race. The extraordinary combination of wishes in this speech took away Faith's breath for an answer. She waited for something more. What was that fellow doing there? growled the farmer after a while. I suppose he was teaching Sunday school, Faith said after a little hesitation. Why is one to be forever teaching Sunday school? said the farmer in a discontented tone. Why not? said Faith. As long as there are people to be taught. Don't you want to take hold and teach me now? said Mr. Simlins. Faith did not know at all what to make of this question, and before she had found an answer that would do, she was saved making any. For Mr. Linden, with even brisker steps than theirs, came up behind them, and after a bright, Good evening, Mr. Simlins, uttered a somewhat surprised, Miss Faith. Yes, said Mr. Simlins. Here she is, and I'm going along to see that nothing happens to her. She goes to take care of somebody else, and I come to take care of her. So we go. We all give each other a deal of trouble in this world. Am I expected to take care of you, Mr. Simlins, by the same rule? I came after. Well, I don't know, said the farmer. I guess there'll be nobody to take care of me. I'm past taking care of. What does that mean? said Mr. Linden. How would you like the job? said Mr. Simlins. Think it'd be easy? Why, I should like to know a little more about the job before I express any opinion. I have an opinion, said Mr. Simlins, that you don't know much o farming. Guess it's correct, ain't it? What kind of farming? inquired Mr. Linden again. I don't know more than one kind, till in the earth to bring the produce of it. I have seen something of another kind, said Mr. Linden. It is this. Sow yourselves in righteousness, reap in mercy, break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till he return and rain righteousness upon you. Mr. Simlins wasn't quick enough to answer that, and there was a silence for a minute or two, only broken by their footsteps. Well, he said slowly, at length, supposing... A piece of ground bears as good a crop as it has soil for, and you ought to be contented with it. Yes, said Mr. Linden, but I never saw such a piece of ground yet. Mr. Simlins paused. Do you believe some folks can be better than they are already? he asked. I believe all folks can. You believe in cameras, then? How are you going to work? To make people better? To set them to work themselves, if I can. What sort of ploughs and harrows do you want them to take hold of? They'll find out, when they set to work in earnest to make the ground yield the right sort of fruit, said Mr. Linden. What do you call the right sort? said the farmer, now thoroughly engaged. Ain't as good as a man can do the right sort? Why, yes, said Mr. Linden again. But I tell you, I never saw that sort of fruit ripe, and I'm not sure that I ever shall in this world. For the best fruit that the ground can yield includes not only the best seed and cultivation, but the perfect keeping down of every weed 
and the unchecked receiving of all sweet heavenly influences. "'That's a camera,' said Mr. Simmons, something shortly. "'You can't have all that in this world.' "'The fact that people cannot be perfect in this world does not hinder their being better than they are.' "'Well, I say, how are you going to work to make it, when they're doing the best they can do already?' "'Who is?' "'I'm inclined to be of the opinion you air,' said Mr. Simlin slowly. "'I won't say I be, but I don't know how to do no better.' "'Thank you, Mr. Simlin's,' was the somewhat sorrowful reply. "'You may see what I do, but you do not see what I know. "'And for you, my friend, pray to know. "'There can be no mistakes in the advice that comes from heaven.' "'There was a minute's silence till they came to a turning. "'I'd be glad to see you.' said Mr. Simlins in a somewhat lowered tone. "'Arry of you down to my house any time. You can take care of her the rest of the way. Good night.' He turned off abruptly down a road that led his way. They had been walking the slackened steps during this conversation, and the lingering memory of it still checked the pace of the two now left together. Silence accompanied for beast and bird, they to their grassy couch, these to their nests had all retreated, and when Mr. Linden spoke, it was not his own words. I thank thee, uncreated sun, that thy bright beams on me have shined. I thank thee, who hast overthrown my foes and healed my wounded mind. I thank thee, whose enlivening voice bids my freed heart in thee rejoice. Thee will I love, my joy, my crown. Thee will I love, my Lord, my God. Thee will I love beneath thy frown, or smile thy sceptre or thy rod. But though my flesh and heart decay, thee shall I love an endless day. The silence of the evening fell again unbroken. Unless a breath caught somewhat interruptedly, so gentle a break might be said to break it. Faith said nothing, except by that caught breath. Mr. Linden's step was the only one heard. Silently then he gave her his arm, and they went on at a quicker pace. After a while Faith broke the silence. She spoke in a very quiet voice, as if choosing her words, and hesitated a little sometimes, as if timidity checked her. "'Mr. Linden, I want to ask you about something that troubles me. I don't know what is right. I know I know very little. I know I cannot say much, or can't say it well. But I feel sometimes as if I must speak to everybody I can reach, and tell them what I do now, and beg them to be safe and happy, and then something tells me that if I do so people will think me crazy, or be offended, that it is not my business and I can't do it well, and that I had better not try to do it at all. Is that something right or wrong?" "'Let them that hear the sake come,' Mr. Linden replied. It is part of the sailing orders of every Christian to speak every other vessel that he can, which does not mean that he should go out of his own proper course to meet them, nor that he should run them down when met. Nor, I suppose, said Faith, that he should trouble himself about his voice being very low or very hoarse. I thought so. Thank you, Mr. Linden. The voice of true loving interest is generally sweet, and rarely gives offence, he said. If people never spoke of religious things but from the love of them, there would be an end to cant and bad taste in such matters. She said no more. How does Charles Twelfth behave? said Mr. Linden as they neared home. Has he reacted again? 
or does he give you both hands full? He behaved nicely, said Faith. As to filling my hands, I suppose they wouldn't hold a great deal today, but I hope to have them fuller before long. Then I may send you another scholar? Oh, yes, said Faith. Have you one for me? Perhaps two, if circumstances make my hands too full. Do I know them? I'm not sure how well, nor whether you know them at all by name. But you will like to teach them for different reasons. At least I have. I don't know, said Faith. If you've taught them, Mr. Linden, they will be very sorry to come to me. Then you may have the pleasure of making them glad. She laughed a little, but soberly, and they reached their own gate. It was past the usual Sunday tea-time, and soon the little party were gathered at that pleasantest, quietest of tea-tables, that which is spread at the close of a happy Sunday. It had been such to two, at least, of the family sitting there, albeit Faith's brow was unusually grave, and it had not been unhappy to Mrs. Derrick. She entered, by hope and sympathy, too earnestly and thoroughly into everything that concerned Faith rested too much of her everyday life upon her to be unhappy when she smiled. After tea, as he often did, Mr. Linden went out again, and the two were left alone. Mrs. Derrick occupied herself with reading in the old family Bible, where she turned over a leaf after leaf, but Faith, on a low seat, sat looking into the remains of the little fire which had been kindled in the upper room. Looking at the glowing coals and grey flickering ashes, with a very grave, meditative, thoughtful gaze. "'Mother,' she said at length, turning her face toward Mrs. Derrick's Bible. "'Well, child,' said her mother, a little abstractedly. "'I wish, mother, you would ask Mr. Linden to read and pray at night, and let Cindy and Mr. Skip come in.' "'Why, Faith,' said Mrs. Derrick, now fully roused, "'how you talk, child!' "'Wish I'd do this, and wish I'd let t'other. "'Don't I let you and Mr. Linden do pretty much what you have a mind to?' "'It was incomprehensible to Faith that her mother's permission "'should have to do with any of Mr. Linden's actions. "'But she merely repeated, "'I wish you'd ask him, mother.' "'I guess I will,' said Mrs. Derrick. "'When I do, you'll know it, and he too. "'Ask him yourself, pretty child,' she added, "'looking at Faith with a very unbent brow. "'But, mother,' said Faith, with a little tinge in her cheeks. It would be much better that you should ask him. You are the person to do it. I should like to see you make that out, said Mrs. Derrick. I don't think I'm such a person at all. Only because you are the head of the family, mother, Faith said with a little fainter voice. Well, if I'm the head of the family, I'll do as I like for once, said Mrs. Derrick. I'd like to hear him, I'm sure. Child, it would seem like old times. "'but I wouldn't ask him for a kingdom.' "'Faith looked at her, half laughing and grave too, "'but gave up the point, seeing she must. "'And while you're at it, Faith, "'can you just ask him to make the boys behave? "'Sam Stotenberg did nothing all meeting time but look at you, "'so I guess the sermon didn't do him much good.' "'Faith went back to the contemplation of the fire. "'However, she apparently had not made up her mind "'that she was the person, "'or else was not ready to act upon it, for when Mr. Linden was heard opening the front door, Faith ran away, and came down no more that night. End of chapter 11 Recording by Susanna Mason March twentieth, 2018